Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. This is Friday, the 17th day of November in the year of our Lord, 2023. I will be talking about war, especially the ongoing war in Gaza. I will be looking at the different views of the war by different people who have different perspectives. On the same series of events, I will argue that neither of the first two perspectives is completely accurate, but the third perspective explains not only Gaza, but war in general. I will begin by reminding you that next Thursday is Thanksgiving Day. I plan to spend some time with my family having a good meal, giving thanks, so no Castle Report next week. Have a good holiday, folks, with your family. Don't forget to give thanks. What do we know for certain about the war in Gaza? I don't mean what the news media tells us or what we hear through rumors, but what do we know for certain? There are so many conflicting opinions of the war that we don't know much beyond what is happening on the ground with the movement of troops, etc. We can have at least a little confidence in what the reporters on the ground monitoring and reporting on the fighting tell us, but even then their work is filtered through their networks, their newspapers, and so forth. It seems that Israeli forces are moving through Gaza, destroying tunnels and Hamas fighters where they can find them. This is urban warfare. The most casually intense war, especially for civilians. For example, according to the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, as of September 2023, a total of 9,614 civilians died during Russia's invasion of Ukraine to that date. That low number is because very little of the fighting is urban. And in urban warfare, often 90% of the casualties are non-combatants. According to Reuters Wire Service, more than 11,000 people have been killed during the start of the Israeli operation in Gaza, most of them civilians. The civilian casualties are undoubtedly higher because Hamas is embedded in the civilian population. The Israelis report that they discovered a headquarters unit of Hamas under a large hospital. I saw a video of an Israeli military spokesman showing the tunnel entrances, weapons recovered, and so on. Can that video be believed or is it fabricated? That's the difficult thing about our propagandized technological world today. Almost anything is possible, so almost nothing is certain. Almost nothing can be believed. Hamas seems to be conducting a delaying operation, withdrawing a little bit at a time to delay the inevitable and inflict maximum casualties while at the same time waiting for media coverage to take its toll on the Israelis. The war is spreading with attacks in the West Bank and attacks out of Lebanon. The delaying action gives Hamas more time to rally support from its Middle East partners and from news propaganda around the world. The longer the fight, the higher the casualties, the more international sympathy is generated. So we sit here in America, we watch television, listen to the radio, perhaps even read the New York Times or the Washington Post. If you read your local paper, it's just a reflection of the opinion of those two papers and is editorially virtually identical. Can we have any confidence that what we are being told is accurate? Not in my opinion, because it's all lying propaganda. Nothing can be believed without further investigation, at least. Getting to the truth these days, very difficult, very hard work. No matter how hard you work, you can never be totally confident. I am, therefore, confident of only one part of the mass media 
reporting today, and that is that it is all lying propaganda designed to reinforce the existing regime's power structure and worldview. The regime's power structure is in turn there to serve the interest of the moneyed classes, for as George Orwell said, quote, war against a foreign country only happens when the moneyed classes think they're going to profit from it, end quote. War has another advantage for today's elite billionaire class. That is, that it furthers their aim of destroying humanity, therefore thinning the herd, the herd of rabble that is left for them to manage. That short explanation is the third view, or my own view, of this war and all war in general. People fight and kill each other in mass numbers because they become inflamed about perceived threats. Bad people doing bad things that other people tell them about. These other people don't care about them or their families. They just view them as so much meaningless rabble, but they are oh so enraged. They can't wait to go and kill all the bad people their leaders tell them about. Who are the bad people? Well, that's easy, folks. They are whoever the leaders tell them they are. There are three sides to almost every dispute these days. There are two sides fighting, then there's the side directing and profiting from the fighting. In the Gaza war, we have the Israeli side. That is that a peaceful nation going about its affairs without harmful intent. The Israeli citizens living in peace, or so they thought, they were invaded by a hostile neighbor intent on inflicting terror through mass civilian deaths. The invaders were not warriors, but murderers, rapists, torturers, kidnappers, killers of babies. They attacked the most defenseless of the Israeli population, killing some 1,400 and taking 200 to 250 hostages, many of them children. They did so because that creates the most terror, the most rage, the most desire for revenge among the true warriors of the Israeli military. Is that what happened? What provoked this war? Many people think so. And if it is what happened, then I would certainly understand the Israeli desire for revenge and to sacrifice to prevent it from happening again. Sometimes... When your sworn enemy sows the wind, he must be forced to reap the whirlwind. But is that what really happened? The Palestinians and those who support them see the struggle differently. The Israelis, the Jews as they prefer to call them, stole the land from the Palestinians in 1948. They were and are colonialists, therefore completely illegitimate residents of the land they occupy. These Israelis forced the Palestinians into a tiny sliver of land called Gaza, but what it is in reality is an open-air concentration camp. The Israelis periodically bomb Gaza for no reason, killing civilians at will. The attack of October 7th was an act of legitimate self-defense because the people of Gaza had all they could take. They couldn't take it anymore. Sooner or later, an explosion had to happen. It's true that the Iranians planned, funded, particularly staffed in this attack for two years before it happened, but after all, we're all in this worldwide struggle against the Jews together. Let's just be honest about this struggle. It's the Jews, folks. They are intent on committing genocide against the Palestinian people. These 9 million Jews in Israel, together with their American lapdog supporters, are going to kill all 2 million Palestinians unless they are stopped. We are not the only ones who see the truth in this struggle. We are therefore not alone. People around the world, from the faculty and students at the richest, most powerful college in the world, Harvard, to the Irish Parliament, 
and the men and women on the streets of Europe, they support our struggle against the Jews. Yes, yes, folks. At Harvard, they, they are very anti-Jew these days. But for those who think it's bad form in polite society to be anti-Jew, they're just anti-Israel. Harvard is oh so prestigious. It has an endowment of $52 billion, which generated revenue of $11 billion last year, all tax-free, since it's an endowment. Harvard, the educator of presidents, having given birth to eight of them, apparently sees its Jewish students and faculty, along with other Jews worldwide, as enforcers and enablers of white supremacy. 34 student groups on campus banded together to send a letter condemning the Jews. Oh, excuse me, folks, I mean the Israelis for the war in Gaza. The letter said they hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence in Gaza. The letter did not place any blame on the Palestinians at all, but said it rested entirely on the Israelis despite what Hamas did to initiate the war. The letter condemned Israel for its retaliation, for what Israel claimed was murder, rape, torture, kidnapping of the very young, the very old, without placing any blame on the Palestinians. I can look back through history, folks, and conclude that perhaps the firebombing of Dresden with over 100 civilian deaths was a bad idea. But at the same time, I can remember and recall the terror bombing of London and the camps. To illustrate the madness of it all, the President of the United States refers to himself as a friend of Israel. Then I see reports that indicate that Israel and the United States might be planning a joint strike against Iran. Senator Lindsey Graham told the Iranians in no uncertain terms, quote, we're coming for you if you launch missiles, end quote. If the President is really a friend of Israel as he says he is, why is he trying to get limited sanctions relief so he can release $10 billion to Iran, why would the president fund the enemies of his friends while threatening them in other ways? Does all that mean I'm a friend of Israel? I prefer to think of myself as an enemy of war. This war, like all the others, at least since World War II, would be a good one for the United States to stay a long way from. Why do American leaders constantly stick their noses of their military into every rattlesnake's nest they find around this world. Why War never ends. Why does it never end? Endless saber-rattling cannot benefit many, but those who profit do so enormously. There is the mass media funded, owned by the permanent state, who manipulate the minds of the people to arouse anger. So they will do the bidding of their masters. There's always some bad guy who is the new Hitler out there to be fought, the money people central bankers profit no matter who wins the war but they profit the most when nobody wins and the war is perpetual the arms dealers are more than happy to do their part ramp up production if the stockpiles of weapons start to grow a bit then a new war might require all those stockpiles to be given to one of our friends fighting one of the really bad regimes out there the whole concept of war is absurd. It's absurd that we, the people, allow the fabulously wealthy of this world to manipulate us into war where possibly millions will die for some cause they're convinced of through propaganda services owned by the same rich men. The rich do it to maintain and increase their already enormous wealth, power, and control of the people of this earth. President Eisenhower who knew something about war, said it well. Quote, every gun that is made, every warship launched, every rocket fired, signifies in the final sense a theft 
from those who hunger and are not fed, from those who are cold and are not clothed, end quote. Finally, folks, the U.S. and the West in general is crumbling. Advances made over 2,000 years are being rolled back. Free speech, religious freedom, individual rights, free and fair elections, all threatened along with those threats. We have open-air drug use, filthy streets, homeless people everywhere, crumbling infrastructure, crime more and more blatant and unaccountable every day. No desire of mo or money to fix it, except with debt, which only makes it worse. Endless war, however. We always seem to have what plenty of. At least that's the way I see it. I'll talk to you again, folks, on Friday, December 1st. God willing, until then, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.